This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Tuesday, November the 8th, 2022. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, joined by Senior Team Reporter, Charlie Potter and Charlie, it is an election day Tuesday. I hope that you're going to, if you haven't already, get out and perform your civic duty. We hope everyone out there does that on this election day. I did it before the podcast, but you're telling me before we jumped on here that perhaps I've I've obstructed you to this point on this Tuesday by, by throwing this podcast in front of you. Well, not necessarily. I always had plans to do it right before going to uh, player interviews because it's on the way to the Malmore facility. I still think it's funny, though. My my voting area is the McFarland Mall. Uh, so go right outside the Belk there, cast your vote, stop by the, the food court, pick up a person, oh, yeah. head out. So mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the vibe there. All right. Well, it was pretty, pretty good turnout where my precinct was concerned this morning. It was good to see a lot of folks. Uh, lined up, ready to cast those votes nationwide. So, again, we certainly hope each and every one of you out there will as well. Speaking of approval ratings, Charlie, oh, how's that for a segue? (laughs) Uh, Right now, I'd say the Alabama men's basketball team with a little bit uh, better edge there, a little bit of an edge over Alabama football. We're going to delve into both those topics on this Tuesday edition of the Bama Online Podcast. We'll start with the good news. How about that, Charlie? We'll get off on a positive note here and talk about Nate Oates' latest team taking to the hardwoods Monday night at Coleman Coliseum, and the Crimson Tide gets off to a strong start over a very, very solid low to mid-major in Longwood, and Alabama gets it done 75-54. to um, Not much in the way of three-point shooting, but I think, the biggest positive, and we saw this on the game thread there on the roundtable uh, during the contest on Monday night, a uh, long athletic team that can really get after you on the defensive end. Yeah, and that's really um, what Nate Oates has been preaching all offseason, the need to improve on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, he didn't like the step that they took last year after their stellar second season under him where they – uh, won the SEC tournament and regular season titles. So the defense took a step back last year, and he wanted to get back to to what it was like in year two. And I, I think, you know, you can't really judge a team off of one game, but it looks like they're taking the step in the right direction. And I thought, you know, their their effort on the glass was really impressive. They had 67 boards. Um, that's 12 more than they had in any game last year. And again, like you said, the length of this team was very apparent just in that regard alone with Charles Bediaco, Noah Clowney, uh, Brandon Miller, all those guys were on the floor for the starting lineup. And that was, it was clear from the jump that, that Alabama was going to be able to, you know, kind of pester Longwood from that standpoint. Then you throw in guys like Nick Pringle. I mean, heck even Namari Burnett, he's got a nearly seven foot wingspan, but Darius miles, uh, some of the guys they had out there, um, from a just from a length standpoint, it's impressive, and you know they're still not fully healthy. We saw Miles and, and Noah Gurley. Noah Gurley should be added in that as well. 
not play much in the second half. Um, no Javon Quinterly, but I think Alabama, for the most part, just from an effort standpoint, um, you could tell that there was a lot of energy and a lot of excitement for this team to get on the court and play a team in an actual game. Um, you know, the, the three-point shooting wasn't good. They were three from 28. I don't think that will be a consistent occurrence for this team, given some of the shooters that NATO's brought in. And, and a guy like Dom Welch wasn't even on the court. He's dealing with a lower body injury. And then the turnovers are obviously something they want to clean up. But from just a strictly defensive and rebounding standpoint, Nate Oates was was nothing but happy with this team's first performance. Had to be. And from a starting five perspective and understanding, it looks like Nate's going to have the ability to play up to 10 guys pretty easily. That'll be a fascinating aspect of this team to watch play out here in the next month or so with some really, really good teams, really big-time opponents on the not-too-distant horizon even Liberty coming up uh, later in the week is going to be a challenge. But, you know, you start talking about down the road a little bit what this team has in front of it. But on Monday night, you had Mark Sears, Charles Bediaco, Noah Clowney, Namari Burnett, Brandon Miller, I guess, is your starting five. Uh, no real surprises, although if I had told you in the aftermath of the most recent signing day that Clowney would be the freshman other than Miller to start the season opener, I guess you might have been surprised by that. Maybe a little. Yeah, but here of late, Noah Clowney's a guy that Nate Oates has really been speaking highly of. Um, yeah, I think he's a guy, again, going back to the length, he brings um, a lot to the table. It, it's probably a little unfair, but he's he's called him a little Herb Jones-like and just his ability um, you know, to close defensively. Um, he has a quick step. He's a guy that that's not going to waste a lot of time in trying to to get back up to the rim. And uh, we saw, um, you know, maybe for for worse off, he's not afraid to, to shoot a three point shot either. <laughs> um, but no, I think Noah Clowney is a guy that they liked in the recruiting process, but they've liked even more that they've been able to get him on campus and work with him um, just from a firsthand standpoint. So, uh, you know, going into the game. Um, you know, I, I was sitting there, I had the tweet ready to go, just kind of my guess what the starting lineup would be when it was announced and it was five for five. Um, I, I think that Clowney's done a lot, um, just in terms of his development, um, you know, with no Dom Welch with, with Darius miles kind of dealing with an injury. Um, I, I figured we, we were going to see Betty Yako, We were going to see Brandon Miller. We were going to see Mark Sears because Quinterly's not available. Burnett is a guy that Nate Oates has sung his praises uh, for a while now and, and his ability as a scorer. And then, you know, Clowney was a guy that they've kind of labeled as an X factor. And so those five were, um, weren't that shocking. I think you could go a, a few different ways with that. Noah Clowney is a veteran guy that you could maybe see in the starting lineup, Darius Miles as well. But no, I think this, this new group of players, um, they like a lot. The freshmen stepped up in a big way, scoring in double figures, a lot of them. But, um, no, it, it's going to take some time to adjust to some new faces because they're going to be out there a lot. Yeah, if you include Burnett in that after his injury from a year ago, four newcomers essentially in the starting lineup Monday night. And six guys, Charlie, with 22 minutes of action or more. Four of those, Sears, Miller, Jaden Bradley, and Ryland Griffin finishing double figures in scoring. And, you know, and as you said, on a night when Alabama made just three of 28 shots from three and committed 19 turnovers, 
hell of a job on the glass. I mean, you just look at those numbers, 22 offensive boards, right? And you get 19 second chance points. If, if, if Nate wants to see more of a return to those blue collar points, I got to think there were plenty to go around post game last night. Yeah, I think Charles Vediaco won the hard hat, but Brandon Miller was a close second. And, you know, he talked about just those blue collar points that they chart during the game. I think he said Alabama um, had a 112 to 69 edge over Longwood. And so the, the little things that he really pays attention to, they were far and away better on, on Monday night. So, yeah, I mean, it is a team where I, I think the shooting is going to be better, but it looks like from an effort and from a blue collar standpoint, this is going to be a very much NATO's team. And, and I think he's really excited about this group. Yeah, it's it looks like a team. And you said it earlier, it's just one game. But boy, last season, you could almost just go to the three point shooting column in the box. And if it didn't look good, you could pretty much conclude from that that it wasn't a favorable result on the scoreboard for Alabama. I think this team is showing that uh, far more sustainable in terms of being able to win without being especially effective from three. They're still going to get up 25 to 30 a game um, from beyond the arc. That's not to say they aren't, but defensively is where it's going to start and being able to sort of offset nights when they're not especially good. And then I think with their length and the versatility they have, right? I mean, they can go with a guy like Noah Clowney in the lineup, whether it's with Betty Ako, whether it's with Pringle, whether it's with a number of different guys. They have this length and athleticism where, you know, they can play three through five with a lot of different guys. Brandon Miller, too, uh, while we're at it, uh, highly anticipated uh, debut for that freshman. So we think ahead to Liberty coming up on Friday night. Then it's sort of more of an in-state approach next week with South Alabama in Mobile and then Jacksonville State a week from Friday in Tuscaloosa. Then you get into that Phil Knight Invitational, and you know you're going to see uh, Tom Izzo and Michigan State in, in that first game out in Portland and a matchup with either Oregon or UConn. So it starts to get real pretty quickly here for this team, Charlie. It does. And, I mean, you know, I think – Nate Oates has been clear that they want to schedule tough opponents. And I mean, you know, I don't know if many people could find Longwood on a map, but they're a team <laughs> that has NCAA tournament experience. They have a lot of returning players back. I mean, look what they, they scheduled just in the charity exhibition or not the charity exhibition, the close scrimmage with, with TCU. They're, they're playing experienced teams that have, um, you know, really impressive resumes bring are coming into these games and, you know, Liberty's one, you know, that South Alabama game is going to be tough on the road at, at freaking nine o'clock at night. That's great. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a nice tune up for the real meat of the schedule before SEC play, because, um, you know, that Thanksgiving tournament out in Portland is going to be tough. You have South Gonzaga, you have Memphis, you're going to be playing Baylor in that, um, SEC big 12 challenge. So it's another tough schedule for, NATO's team and if they can stay healthy they're going to have a chance in in all of those games because this team looks like they're not going to be it's not going to be one of those teams where we're talking about a lack of effort uh on a weekly basis again and you know I think they'll have more of Darius Miles and, and Noah Clowney on Friday you know we'll see what happens with Dom Welch but if they can get these guys on the floor on a consistent basis and get them to just shoot a little better and take care of the ball um, you know, I, I think they'll be much improved. And really, the turnovers, um, 
a lot of them were were kind of bad, but it, it felt just like those first game jitters more yep. than anything. And it, it might sound like you're making an excuse for for them, but I don't think we'll see some of those just kind of pop up again. I think those will die down. Yeah, I'm going to give them a pass for being maybe a, a, a excessively juiced mm-hmm. on opening night. They were trying so hard on some occasions to get the the break going and transition going that they were pretty errant with some passes. I, I'm with you on that one. And, you know, we talk about the freshmen with Clowney and Miller, but a couple of other guys too. I thought Bradley and Griffin gave them a spark in each half, maybe Griffin more so in the first half, Bradley in the second half, but good to see those highly regarded newcomers perform at a high level too. Yeah, no doubt. I think Rylan Griffin, um, you could tell he's really aggressive. He's a guy that uh, he's got the green light and he appreciates that about Nate Oates and his staff. It was kind of funny after the game, um, you know, he was talking about or he was asked about the, the defensive end, the effort there, how it's always necessary, especially when shots aren't falling. And he kind of laughed about how we don't even know. Uh, he didn't. He didn't know how important the defensive in the floor was in Oates during the recruiting process. That might have been a little detail that Nate left out, but he learned pretty quickly when he got on campus that if you don't play defense, you're not gonna um, see the floor. But in that same breath, um, you know, Rylan Griffin is a guy that he's not gonna have a shooting performance like that a lot of nights, one of seven from three. But he's also not gonna turn down open looks, and I think they need that. You know, when you get Dom Welch back, he's another shooter. I think, you know, Namari Burnett, a lot of these guys are going to shoot better. But I think Rylan Griffin's going to be a guy that's going to provide a lot of firepower from beyond the arc throughout the season. And, you know, it was good to see Jaden Bradley also play well because you still don't have Javon Quinterly. He's a guy, too, Bradley is, that dealt with an injury when he got on campus. And to go three for five, I think he was um, – yeah, he had six rebounds. You know, these guards got involved in the glass. I think he had a pretty effective night as well. Yeah, he had four different guys with double-digit boards to go along with four different guys in double-digit scoring. You can win. You mm-hmm. can win with those type of uh, numbers, both on the glass and where scoring is concerned. So there you have it. There's the positive, positive half <laughs> of the podcast as we transition into some football talk. And look, there's some. There are some positives for this Alabama football team, although it heads into Ole Miss week looking to avoid the first three-game road losing streak of the Nick Saban era. Things we didn't think we'd be talking about heading into the Ole Miss game, Charlie, for $1,000, please. Yeah. Um, you know, it. this team is – it's been disappointing. Um and in the, in the same time, like, I get that there's a lot of expectations around this football program. Nick Saban has created those with the success that he's had, unmatched success, sustained success, whatever you want to call it. It's been a hell of a run. I, I don't buy into that dynasty being over BS that we've heard all week. That's just people coming out of the woodwork because they can. But, you know, well, as it, people have been saying it for about seven or eight years right. now, too. Right? You're eventually so going to be right. But they're trying to be right. Finally, a lot of these folks and, and maybe they will be. But you've you got to take that into account where, where it's coming from in a lot of these instances. No doubt. And, you know, I get that there's pressure on these players as well. But like it's Alabama has underperformed. And whether that's uh, on the coaching staff, the players, I think, you know, you can place blame in a lot of places. 
it's just been a, a season to where it's really the last two seasons, they just haven't looked like themselves at times. They haven't been able to close out close games. They've struggled on the road. And so I, I think, you know, there's a, there's a reasonable uh, claim for them to need to make some changes this off season. They're not going to happen right now. I know that people, you know, I was offered and jokingly, I understand this, but when I put those live updates on the message board for Nick Saban's press conference, People love to make question suggestions, and they're offering money to to ask about (laughs) (laughs) Bill O'Brien and if he still has a job. That's not Nick Saban's style. He's not going to, you know, release a a coach held before the early signing date. Well, unless you're Lane Kiffin. Yeah, that was also after that point. But there's an asterisk around that one I still don't understand. (laughs) But – it, he's also not going to come out in this press conference and be like, oh, yeah, I, I fired Bill O'Brien on Sunday. Like, let's be real. And the people that have followed this team know how this guy operates, and it's not to go out and publicly criticize his coaches or his players. And I thought, you know, for the most part, when asked about the inability to live up to the, the standard that he set at Alabama, he placed some blame on himself, and a lot of it is just not getting these players to be process-oriented, and they're more focused on outcomes, and you know, that's something we've heard from him hundreds of times, the importance of that. But you know, this is a team that still, yes, it has two losses before Thanksgiving, and it could have a third if it's not able to ride the ship at Ole Miss, but you're still only four points away and on the final plays of both games from winning on the road against top 10 teams. It's not like they went on the road to Vandy and got their ass kicked. Like Alabama hasn't been the, to, up to the standard that we've seen during the Nick Saban era on a consistent basis these last two years, but they're still one of the better teams in the country. They just haven't had that consistency, that execution. They've, they've made errors that have been uncharacteristic of Nick Saban coach teams. It's, I don't know. I feel like I'm just trying to talk people off the ledge a little bit because seeing some of the stuff on the message board and thankfully I had to drive back and cover the game. So I wasn't on it as much as as the rest of you guys. But it it's just it's really kind of overkill. It's ridiculous to some standpoint. And I get the frustrations. But, you know, calling for Nick Saban just to, to retire and to fire everybody. Um, it's it's a lot, to say the least. And it's the lunatic fringe where a lot of that's coming from. I don't think that's, you know, indicative of the core fan base well, in no. any form or fashion. And, you know, you, you did a nice job there of talking Alabama fans off the ledge. I'm going to put them back on it <laughs> with the stance that everything you said about four points and top 10 teams on the road, that's absolutely been the case. But from my perspective, these aren't the kind of teams that typically beat Alabama, right? I mean, all due respect to Tennessee on a great season and also LSU and coming back from that season opening loss to Florida state. But these ain't those teams. Are they Charlie? I mean, what? And, and it's the standard that you talked about. You know, when you think about Alabama losing games, you think about them losing to Deshaun Watson on the final play of the game, not Jaden Daniels. You think of them losing to Joe Burrow, and that LSU team in 2019 or you know, maybe even the Georgia team from a year ago, you can kind of get it when it comes to those kind of losses. And even two lost seasons for Alabama, maybe not so much 2010 because that team was like, too talented to drop three games. But, you know, even in 2019, you kind of got it because one of those losses was, again, to the eventual national champs in LSU 
The other was at Auburn when you had Mac Jones making what I believe was his second start mm-hmm. um, at Alabama. You get where I'm going with that, though? I mean, even the quality of the losses, while on paper they look they look reasonable, these teams aren't those. Teams. Tennessee's a great offensive team. Uh, I thought Georgia showed you exactly. If, if you've got what Alabama typically has, especially along the lines of scrimmage, that's the result you get against Tennessee, what Georgia got last Saturday. And then, you know, LSU, kind of the same thing. Nice team, uh, resilient team. And maybe that's the biggest difference between an LSU right now and Alabama, because whatever it is, this Alabama team doesn't have it. And that's, that's a major surprise to me. And you talk about the coordinators and absolutely. Look, I think Bill O'Brien's gone. But I think Bill O'Brien was always going to be gone after this season, primarily because I think Bill O'Brien has at least one power five head coaching opportunity in his future after this season. So he he, he I'll be shocked if he's back next year um, defensively. I think that's where it gets interesting, though, because we can talk about the offense all we want. But four times last Saturday night, the offense gave the defense the ball with the lead in the second half and overtime and each of those occasions, the Alabama defense, which we anticipated being the best in maybe all of college football, nine preseason, all sec selections on the defensive side of the ball. And they can't either take the ball away or get a stop. No, that was the most surprising part. Cause we've talked about the inconsistencies on offense um, all season long, whether it's at wide receiver, offensive line, just the running game in general. Um, but yeah, the, the defense, I think the, the most surprising part of Saturday night was the amount of missed tackles. And it just, you know, if, if LSU needed to move the chains on third down, you knew they were going to get it. And the defense outside of the Tennessee game. And some of that was adjustment based has played well this season. I, I don't think anybody can really argue that, but it, in the second half in Baton Rouge, it, it looked like a completely different unit out there and you know they were able to to get a, a bunch of sacks they had six they, they generate generated a lot of negative plays with 11 tackles for loss but when they needed to make stops like you said um in the second half they just they weren't able to do it and you know i think the the personification or just the the best example of that is i mean look how easy it was for Jaden daniels to score in overtime um yeah, so play. it yeah. It was a disappointing effort by the defense, and, and that'll be interesting to see what happens on that side of the ball in the offseason because you're going to lose a lot of guys, whether to the draft or just you know guys you know moving on from their senior years. Um, but you know, it's at the same time, you know, when you're talking about the teams that have beat Alabama this season, you can go back and I mean, you've you've had teams that have been led by by Bo Wallace, by Stephen Garcia, had yeah. Zach, Zach Calzada last year. That there have been some. I mean, for lack of a better word, scrubs that have done it. Um, but it's it's a situation where these guys have been uh, from a from a mental standpoint, just not there. Um, you know, I, I know people were kind of upset about it and been upset about some of the things Will Anderson said. But, you know, he was adamant that the, it's not an effort thing, that they're working their ass off in practice, that they want to win these games. It's just they get in their own way. Um, from a mental standpoint and whether that's just execution or anxiety, whatever, um, 
that hasn't helped. And I don't really know, you know, what you do to fix that. Nick Saban needs to really hone in on that this off season, whether it's, you know, adding different personnel from a coaching standpoint, you know, getting guys in different spots from a, a player on the field standpoint. But, um, you know, that has to change because every team is going to want to do what LSU and Tennessee did this season and beating Alabama storming the field. And, and like he said, Monday, putting that on their mantle and Ole Miss is no different. And, you know, I don't know if it changes this season, but it, it, it something has to change from that standpoint, just from terms of, you know, getting these guys ready and, and wanting to play Alabama football and just being an unlikable team from the opponent. That's what's been missing. I think you don't have those guys that are willing to go out and just piss somebody off and punch them in the mouth. And I think they have stellar defensive players on this team. Will Anderson is the best defensive player in the country, but these guys haven't shown up on a consistent enough basis. Yeah, the tough thing about the two-point conversion that LSU converted was that you ended up having to, or you felt like you had to, based on the personnel, you had to take maybe, well, not maybe, one of your top two or three defensive players on the team off the field because they were in base defense, and that means Brian Branch comes off. And so you essentially sub... Uh, a defensive lineman and because uh, they were in dime initially, a defensive lineman and uh, Jalen Moody comes back on in, in the base and uh, you just didn't get it done. I mean, kudos to give LSU credit. I, I'm not saying they're a bad team. I'm just saying, you know, I've seen Alabama teams with similar talent go to Baton Rouge against Joe Burrow, his junior year, I guess it was in 2018 and win 29 to nothing. Right. right. And so th- that's kind of what you're you, you grow accustomed to, to seeing. But, you know, when you when you look at this offense, I know I've pounded on the defense pretty good. And even going back to the Texas A&M game, I caught some gruff on the roundtable about some of the low grades I gave the defense after the Texas A&M game. And the reason why was essentially because of what we saw against LSU. It wasn't so much that Alabama stopped Texas A&M in that game. Um you know, they, A&M had essentially the same kind of play on and didn't hit it um, in, in Tuscaloosa. LSU did, but, um, you know, this offense isn't certainly without blame. There, there's no doubt about that. It's not an offense that's been able to achieve legitimate balance. Bryce Young, look, he is, in my opinion, the best quarterback in college football. But if he's throwing it 51 times in a game that Alabama never trailed by more than five points, it kind of tells you where things sit in those terms. You know, he's throwing 51 passes in what was a one-score game from start to finish last Saturday night, and he's doing it without guys like Jamison Williams and John Mechie around. Yeah, he's having to throw a lot because there's a lot of incompletions, and this wide receiver group's been disappointing. Um, they clearly don't have a, a true number one guy. I think Ja'Cory Brooks has been the closest thing to that, but you know, the run game hasn't been consistent. I thought the running backs played well for the most the backs, part. Yeah. 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 I Especially from a, a receiving standpoint. I thought all three did. And, and Roy Dell Williams tip of the cat to him, tip of the hat to him because of what he was able to do in some short yardage situations, especially on fourth down. Um, Roy Dell's a guy I don't think we talk about enough, but it, yeah, it's just, there hasn't been enough help around Bryce on a consistent enough basis. And that's been evident. And it's a, it's a damn shame that, we're going to sit here and watch an Alabama team led by the best quarterback to play for the university, and he's not going to win a national championship. Yeah, just, as a starter. just play it out. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you got to wonder what happens. I I don't, I don't know if he'll opt out of the last three regular season games with the the bowl game, whenever that happens to be, you got to wonder. And and I don't blame him for that because he's not getting a lot of help around him. Um, The offense has been, you know, it's, it's been disappointing because the receivers have been inconsistent and everything else has been inconsistent. And, you know, to not, put Bryce in, in good enough situations to where he's not having to throw for 51 times in a game when he's still coming off of that shoulder injury. Uh, it's, um, it's kind of mind boggling. Yeah. And if you're Alabama, do you start thinking about the future at the position? Um, not that you would ever consider really uh, a change just for the sake of the future. I think Bryce Young deserves far more than that. If he's, if he's available and, and wanting to go, but if he is still dealing with an injury that's more significant than he's letting on, and that may be the case, we don't know. We heard Nick Saban on Monday talk about from what they can gather from Bryce. He says he's good, uh, but what else is Bryce Young going to tell you? A guy's an elite competitor. Yeah. You know, people like that, they're going to say what they got to say to to stay in the lineup. So. A lot of fascinating scenarios potentially on the horizon for Alabama at the most important position uh, on the field. And, of course, that that being uh, the quarterback position. You, you talked about some some bright spots. I guess Ja'Cory's been one of them mm-hmm. coming along here. It's been, boy, week to week, you got to kind of check in with that wide receiver rotation, though, don't you? Yeah, that was one of the more interesting things about Saturday is it looked like they kind of tightened that up a little bit. Uh, I know everybody was wondering about Tyler Harrell, and I included him on some players to watch in our 247 primer on Friday just because we saw him get his first game action against Mississippi State, albeit late in garbage time with Jalen Miller at quarterback. You know, Nick Saban said some good things about him up at Birmingham at that Monday morning quarterback um, club where he, he speaks to those guys, and he just kind of had the sense that maybe they were ramping him up to do more and more out of the bye week, and we didn't see him at all. And uh, we didn't see Treshawn Holden at all. And you know, your starters were Brooks Burton and and um, JoJo Earl. We saw Isaiah Bond in the game pretty early, either the second or third series, and, and Kobe Prentice. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that was it. And um, you know, I think Bond and, and Prentice have, have done well. I think they've played better as the season's gone along. I would love to see Alabama dial up a, a deep shot to Isaiah Bond with his speed. At the wide receiver position, we just haven't seen that. But no, I, I think Jacory Brooks, like I said a minute ago, has been the closest thing to a number one receiver for Alabama. Um, I, I think you know he's a guy that does all the all the, the right things, and that might not be the case for some of the guys in that wide receiver room. Um, but you know, it, it's a group that it has talent. You know, we've talked about it throughout the off season, leading up to the season, during the start of the season. It just didn't have a lot of experience and. Um, it didn't really develop a lot either, it seemed like. And so, you know, the route running was questionable at times. You had a lot of drops, just some inconsistencies. And, um, you know, outside of Brooks and some of those young guys kind of being bright spots, I think Joe Earl also has done some good things as he's come back from injury too. But it's just been a, a group that probably, if you, if you look at the entire roster from a position standpoint, it's probably been the most disappointing for Alabama. So it is Alabama traveling to Oxford coming up this Saturday, 2.30 kickoff from Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. That game, of course, will air on CBS. And really, the storyline is going to be the psyche 
of this Alabama team. We've heard Nick Saban talk about his uh, the anxiety that he believes this team um, encounters uh, more often than not. And look, maybe not having the weight of a national championship on its shoulders will lead to a team that is able to get out of its own way in this game against Ole Miss or you know, is there real concern that this team, despite its veteran leadership, wanders into the vault Saturday and gets ambushed by Kiffin's up-tempo and uh, what he's able to formulate from an opening script? I, I, I'll tell you, I, I don't know. I've had people ask me this week, I don't, I don't really know what, what's going to happen. And I, I think early in the game, we're going to find out pretty quickly. No, you're right. I was just I was thinking about that while listening to you. Like it, it's going to be evident early in this game what the rest of it's going to be like. Because if Alabama comes out and they're flat, uh, Lane Kiffin's going to be, you know, throwing that play card sheet a lot uh, <laughs> on, on Saturday and not in distress up in the air in celebration. And um, I think, I, they, you know, I know that people on the board have gotten tired of, of some of the stories that I've posted, but like. Alabama said the right things so far, and I think the leaders, the the older players on the team are going to, and I think they've played uh, well for the most part. I think you know, hearing from a guy like Byron Young, uh, who elected to come back for his senior year to try to win a national championship, you know, he said yesterday that you know they've got to play for the name on the back of their jerseys as well as the A on the front of it, and everybody um, that's beside them, and essentially that he's going to come out every day and and play like he's playing for a national championship and he's going to try to get the young guys to, to come along with him to do that and i think they want to they want to finish on a high note you, know, you get to those 10 wins you get to a bowl game win that um that's the goal and i think really they just want they want to bounce back and this would be a hell of a time to do it on the road against a, a Ole miss team that's had an extra week to prepare for alabama it's going to be a, a challenge but you know, I, I think we'll learn a lot just about you know, what this team is going to be like the rest of the season, just from a, a mental and mindset standpoint. And um, if they can right the ship and get guys to, to buy in and do some things right, then maybe they'll see success. I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. It, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, the the trend on the road here of late hasn't been great in Alabama's favor in doing that, but. You know, like you said, I think kind of having the pressure off of their shoulders a little bit might help with that anxiety and that that mindset standpoint of letting them go out there and, you know, look like they're having fun. Ole Miss going to come out offensively, work quickly. We know that Um, team that is really effective running the football has a quarterback in Jackson Dart as a first year starter can do it with his legs to an extent. Not a great runner. He's not Jaden Daniels. He will throw it to you. On occasion, unfortunately for this Alabama defense, uh, it doesn't tend to get its hands on the football all that much. One interception through nine games is enough to put you in the tie for the team lead in interceptions right now on this Alabama defense. So um, we'll see. And, and I think where I'll be particularly interested will will be on that defensive side of the ball, because in the two road losses, they've given up over 180 rushing yards in each of those. And. Again, did a nice job in holding Ole Miss to under 80 rushing yards in Tuscaloosa last October. Uh, but, you know, we'll see if uh, Ole Miss is able to hit sort of that magic number of 180 this week on its home field. Hey, Charlie, 
appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. I know we all, I always say we're going to go short. We end up going longer and it's because <laughs> I always love getting your thoughts on the myriad of topics on which we discuss some hoops this week, some football, as always appreciate your great work for us too, there at BamaOnline.com. day to day, week in and week out year to year. Charlie Potter is a constant at BamaOnline.com. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. For Charlie Potter, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the podcast? Simple as a click or two. And if you leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would appreciate that as well. And, of course, you want to hang out with us on the roundtable right there at BamaOnline.com, the premium message board of choice for Crimson Tide fans globally, the roundtable at BamaOnline.com. Travis Schreier, thanks again. Until next time, so long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.